You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit our website at InsideActingPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algon. And on this podcast, we interview writers, directors, agents, managers, casting directors, producers, and in some cases, New York Times bestselling authors. <laughs> and uh, when, when would that case be, AJ? <laughs> uh, possibly on this episode, Trevonius. Um, and we package it up into uh, this podcast and bring it to an internet's near you. Absolutely. And we're just two dudes with a podcast. We don't, we don't have any sort of special expertise. We're just two guys in the trenches with everybody else just kind of figuring things out as we go along. So we don't necessarily have the answers. You know, we have some experience, but we don't necessarily have all the answers. That's, in fact, why we started this podcast podcast and why we make a point to interview people every single week. So uh, if you hear something on this podcast that you want to add your two cents to, whether it's to agree with us or disagree with us, we invite it either way. You can get started uh, finding out the millions of different ways to get in touch with us or like the seven different ways to get in touch with us at InsideActingPodcast.com. And on this episode, we bring you part one of our interview with Matt how are we saying his name? Loglin. 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 Don't don't we, do what I do and we, screw up his. We screwed up his name the in the in the interview. <laughs> what is it with us in names? We're I don't know. bad at this. We're never. One one day I want to grow up and be a real host. <laughs> you think that would be important, given that we like you know the main purpose of this podcast is to interview people who've kind of been there and done that, and we can't. Even even get their names. Well, I right. just refuse to ask them beforehand. How do you pronounce yeah. your name? Uh, I'm too good yeah, to know. Just too much effort and forethought. Too much effort. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Loglin, who uh, wrote uh, a New York Times best-selling uh, book about his experience uh, with uh, with uh, his his wife and his child, and we'll kind of let him explain it in the interview. But uh, it's very touching, and it's kind of amazing his journey from, um, you know, just some dude who worked at Yahoo to having a, a feature film being uh, being made by Lifetime. Yeah. I mean, it's... And, and there's a lot in there for actors, so... Yeah. There's a lot of together. stuff in, yeah. in there about, uh, about letting go, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, stick around for that. Okay, so we've got a lot of ground to cover on this episode, so we want to get right to it. First and foremost, uh, we've got some thank yous, right? Absolutely. We have two listeners that in the past week, and this is above and beyond our patrons, who we're getting emails from every day. Emails meaning email confirmations from PayPal that their that their support went through. So right. we, we get emails from those people every day, and it always just makes our, our hearts smile. But we also got some, uh, some really kind of generous one-off donations from two listeners, Dan and Andy. You guys know who you are. Thank you so very much for keeping us going um, with your generous donations. And it's always cool when people include a little note, too. You know, I think mm-hmm. it was Andy that included a little note that said, you know, hey, just discovered you guys. Thank you so much for making my journey you know, easier or better or more entertaining or something. Uh, and he's up in Canada 
and he just um, he said thank you, you know, and then um, you know when he's working, he's gonna donate some more. So <laughs> that's pretty cool, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we really appreciate it, and of course, as Trevor said, we also appreciate our patrons who are our monthly uh, our monthly donors. Absolutely. Gracias. Um, so what's been going on for you this week, Senor? Uh, I had a big learn all picked out in my head, and I I forgot what it was, but um. <sighs> I know, I know, of course. How convenient, right? <laughs> it's only well, episode 85, Can you Trev. call it a big learn? If- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, no, my, uh, my, I think my big, my kind of backup big learn was um, casting director workshops. And I know we've had this, this conversation mm. on the podcast, like just like freaking ad nauseum. But um, I just signed up. I just bought like a huge pack of workshops from this new mm-hmm. place I'd never heard of, but my agent recommended called Dominion dominionentertainment.biz I believe is the website and he recommended them because he knows the woman who runs it personally and says she's a stand-up person and also because they're a little bit cheaper than some of the other places um, but I joined their mailing list and I get like two or three emails a day from Dominion Entertainment now and you'd think that'd be kind of obnoxious but she really highlights what actors are being brought in for what shows and and what projects and things like that and it's really inspiring because I'm starting to see a pattern uh, among, you know, among not only the actors who are getting called in a lot, but you can look at their headshot and yeah. see, oh, well, you know, that has a really specific headshot. So it makes sense. And you start seeing who's bringing people in. So like, you know, kind of where to put your money when you do these workshops, who do yeah. you actually take one from? And uh, our boy, Kyle Carvin got brought in for what? like for like eight things through these workshops through, nice. through dominion so uh, i haven't actually signed up for any workshops yet but getting those emails every day just kind of put it back in my head that like oh yeah this is something we get to do as actors is do the marketing aspect of it you know right. this is basically going to the client's house and doing an in-home demonstration like if we weren't actors this would be the equivalent of us doing door-to-door selling, selling, almost, selling stick you know? knives <laughs> exactly exactly but you know that's kind of what it is you know? interesting yeah so um that was that was just kind of big for me and i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna get back on this this train how dare you reduce my art to that i Trevor. know i know how dare you, you and everything. we've got a question uh later on about marketing so we can come back to that topic for sure kick ass um What's new for you, man? What this opened week up was, for you? This week was about. Um, <laughs> this week was about my feature film, actually, uh, or our feature film. Oh. Trevor is also in it as well. Thank you. That was my. That was my big learn. That oh, was. My, was? That was my other. My first big learn. <laughs> go, but go one, ahead. I'll let the you. One I forgot. First. Well, what was it? It was just that. Um, you know, Alex works so fast, man. Yeah, he works so fast, and and I I got really nervous the, the other day when we shot this past weekend because he would do like one take of an angle, just like one take, and be like, "That's it, we got it." And I'm like, "Really? Like, how, when does that ever happen? Like, never. You know, usually it's like at yeah. least four or five takes, at least, and that's even brief. But um, you know, Alex just knows what he what he wants when he sees it. And I asked him about it today because we shot today too, and I said, "Dude." How do you do like why, why one take like what's the deal with this you know yeah and he said well you know I just know exactly what I want and he goes and I, I, I set it up I light the scene so that you know it's really kind of easy to work around and um, he's like and I have you know actors that I can depend upon to give consistent performances between angle, angles and he's like and I know you know when I get it I know it and we move on he's like I'm not here to waste time I'm like this is amazing because we've already churned through like 45 pages of this script. Maybe not that many, no, but a lot. That, half that much, about 20. Okay, so 20. But yeah, but yeah, in yeah. like, what, a week? Like a couple of days. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Like yeah. we shot, I mean, we shot a page today in like less than an hour. Yeah. Like after you left, we shot a page and I was like, 
that was it was just done four takes total because yeah. he had two cameras going so yes yeah, was, yeah that's awesome. the other, that's the other thing that i was going to mention is that um now that we have a, a sort of a, a benefactor who's uh, lending us all this awesome equipment um it that also increases the speed you know because if you have you know, two cameras, no waiting. Like you've got one person getting, you know, one, one actor, the other person getting the other actor and you shoot, you know, one take is, is two takes. There's no turnaround. You don't have to reset it up. Um, the guy who's holding the other camera, he's also the lighting guy. His name's Tim. Great, great guy. He's also the lighting guy. So he'll set up the lighting so that it lights the scene well and the lights don't get in the way of the shot. Mm hmm. Or you know they aren't in the background of the shot, so yeah. it's 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 been pretty incredible to watch them work. And I, what I was going to say is my big learn regarding the feature because that's what I've been up to most in terms of my acting career, other than this uh, this show that I may or may not be an understudy in. So I'll have to wait until that becomes. Oh, you're not going to talk about that. I have to wait until it becomes right. solid. Otherwise, right, I'm talking cool. about nothing. Fair well, enough. not not necessarily talking about nothing, uh, but it's a story for another time. Let's gotcha, put it that way. Gotcha. Uh, we'll definitely talk about it for sure. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of the the feature, yeah, I guess my big learn was about delegation. You know, because I I declared that this was going to be done um, by October 18th, which is here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, we're not going to – it's not going to be completed um, for a bunch of different reasons, not the least of which is I, I really want to reach out to some bigger name actors and, and, and try to do some stunts, what they call stunt casting, which is essentially putting big name actors into, uh, you know, in, independent films like this. So – I'm, I'm. I really would like to do that. So, and and there's other reasons why it's not going to get done as well. But, like I said, or like we were just discussing, we shot 20 pages in just a couple of days, and it's only a 70 page script. So, you know, I I'm being really bad at math, but we'll just say two sevenths. <laughs> sure, whatever. that sounds good. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not true at all. Um, well, actually, yeah, it is. 20 over 70 yeah. divided by 10. Yeah, two sevenths. It, yeah. So. I mean, I guess, you know, my, my, well, two things. Number one, what, what is going to get done wouldn't have happened anyway, had I not made the declaration, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And number two, the only way to accomplish that much in that short of time is to delegate. Yeah. And I think that if you are out there and you're, and you hear us week after week talk about doing your, doing our own, doing your own work, doing your own work, doing your own work, you're like, how? AJ, Trevor, like, you know, it sounds really difficult or I'm having a difficult time doing it. Take a look at how much of the workload you're taking on. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you feel like you're overworked and you're doing all of it, kudos like that's awesome that you are the driving force behind that but you also don't necessarily want to kill yourself especially if there's other things that you want to be focused on with regards to your acting career and other aspects of your life so yeah so i guess what i'm saying is like we would not be accomplishing things at the rate that we are accomplishing them if i was the only one doing anything if you were the only one doing anything if alex was the only one who was the driving force? It's like we've got two producers, Alex, uh, you know, his AD slash lighting guy mm-hmm. slash, you know, <clears throat> co-cinematographer, Tim, uh, actors who know what they're doing, people who are willing to show up, show up on time, show up off book, show up, you know, uh, wanting to do the work. It's it's really cool. It's really cool. And I yeah. think we kind of touched on this um, not only in the previous episode, but in other discussions as well of like putting together 
you know, a team of people. Yeah. It was like the yeah. last episode yeah. we talked about yeah. this and this is exactly what we're talking about. You know, you get a group of your friends together who want to be filmmakers and want to make films who are also dependable, who are also talented. And all of a sudden, like, you know, things start happening, um, almost at ease. Yeah. At ease. (laughs) I like that. They say, there's a saying, I think it's an actually in AA that, you know, when something's meant to be because it just works, Hmm. it just works. And I, somebody told me that and I remember really hearing that and being like, yeah, you know, like there's so true. And if you're struggling, like really struggling, there's a point where it's just, you gotta be like, all right, is this, I mean, hard work is one thing. Persistence is one thing, but there's a point where you gotta be like, okay, is, am I supposed to be on a different path right now? Hmm. You know what I mean? There's a quote, I don't think it's from the film, but they use it in the film. Uh, the best, best new Marigold hotel. What was that? Best exotic, best, the best exotic Marigold hotel with, Judy Dench and that's, that's the name Tom of the Wilkinson. Yeah, it's wow, a, it's okay. a, it's amazing. It's really good. It's I watched it on I think I watched it on the airplane coming back from Australia. But there's a quote that they use in that that's probably a famous quote that I just never heard until I saw that movie, which is um, "It will all work out in the end, and if it has not yet worked out, it is not yet the end." <laughs> I dig that. I dig that, and that's a huge thing that that you know at least that I feel like I'm going to be learning on an experiential level in LP at MITT is that like you, you know, you set the deadline, you set the intention and you don't give up on it. Yeah. You know, you don't start renegotiating with yourself as the date gets closer. You start going, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, here it comes. Like, you know, like you stick to your guns yeah. and you don't, you don't change, you know, out there changes to conform to what you are creating. Totally. Totally. And you get to shift to like, you know, it's, it's, you know, renegotiating. Like, like I said, I'm not going to have, you know, my feature film done by October 18th, but I'm going to rene- renegotiate that date. It's going to get done by the end of the year. And what's going to get accomplished between now and then wouldn't have happened anyway, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not a, fa- it's not a failure just because it's not done. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. hopefully this is inspiring some people who have been, you know, sitting on the sidelines or sitting on a, an idea that they've had, you know, and they keep hearing us talking about DIY, DIY, DIY yeah, and going, yeah. but I don't know how or where to start. It's just start. Just begin. That's <laughs> just what my grandmother begin. says. Just begin. We wanted to, to come back to the uh, the marketing thing. We got a, a, a an actual Facebook, not not an email, but a Facebook post from uh, Michael, one of our listeners, who asked basically about. I'll try to summarize here about publicizing a show that you don't know is necessarily good. So let's say you're in a theater show or maybe you're in a movie that's going to be in a festival and you don't necessarily know, you're not necessarily confident about the quality of it. Is it still worth it to reach out to casting directors and the like to say, hey, I'm working, I'm doing something, or is the risk too great that they're going to come and see it and therefore... um, Put you in that category that nobody wants to be in. Of doing bad work. Right. 
What do you think? Uh, well, I knew you were going to toss it to me. <laughs> well, I read the question. So. Oh shit! No, um, I mean we've, we we've in in one form or another we've touched on this question True. various times throughout the, the history of the podcast here. Uh, and I, what we usually come up with is is you know it kind of depends. Um, I mean, on one hand, it's like, well, why are you doing the project if it's kind of, you know, it's like, it's kind of like owning up to that responsibility of, of what you've kind of created there for totally, yourself. Totally. Um, but on the other hand, we've all been there. You know, I've been in projects that I thought were going to be great and they turn out to be total shit. And it's like... I've definitely been there. I'm like, I'm not inviting a soul to this thing. You know, hmm. I'm not going to like screen this for anybody. But a lot of the time I recognize that I am my own worst critic and that mm-hmm. sometimes people have come to see projects I've been in or, you know, come to screenings or whatever of things where I was like, please don't watch this. <laughs> and they see it and they're like, we really enjoyed it. It was really great. I took this, this, and this from it. And I was like, I realized how blind I had been just because I was stuck in my story hmm. of me doing shitty work. So, uh, what do you do in that situation? I mean, do you, do you well, have, do you like, do you Trevor, for instance, have like one person that you're like, can you please come to like the opening night and tell me if this is shit or not? Or not. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I don't actually, I don't have a, a go-to person. I that. don't either. That's why I thought I'd yeah. ask. I thought I'd throw it out because what do you do? Yeah. You know, you get, you know, maybe, maybe our advice to Michael is make a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, who's, who's really whose opinion you really trust, and, and and who is, you know, in the same artistic pursuit that you yeah. are. I mean, I yeah. don't know. Well, here's a, here's a thought that came up for me. Um, I if it's if it's a role or a project that really shows off your type or the kind of the kind of character actor that you are, or you know, whatever whatever kind of specificity that is for you. Like some guys are great army generals. Some guys are great as the goofy husband next door. Some guys are great as as the as the oafy fat dude at the office. You know, like there's different types. And if it's that's your type, if the if the project kind of sucks, but that's your type, and you know you're hitting that, then absolutely, it's absolutely worth showing people that. Oh well, uh, yeah, you could also be you could also always be the standout. You right, know, the right. Project was terrible, and then you come on stage and you have like one. I've seen. This has happened so many times, especially to a lot of my friends, like a lot of, you know, the people that we roll with and I'm not, I'm not tooting our own horn or anything, but this is just how I feel. I think a lot of our friends are extremely talented. A lot of the people that have worked with, totally are. Yeah. a lot of people that have worked <laughs> with the Los Angeles theater ensemble are extremely talented and we'll go see like, um, pay, you know, we've seen Paige in, in, in her show, which is definitely, the, I mean, obviously she had like 90% of the lines, but she was definitely the standout oh, yeah, absolutely. of that show. It's like, you know. If there's an opportunity like that, and uh, you know you you get to be the um, the one, for lack of a better term, outshining everyone mm-hmm. else, then maybe you st- you know maybe you stick around. Yeah, it's like I that. Think, I think ahead. I interrupted you. So I was going to say it's like that Will Smith quote um, where he says like you know like you may be more talented than me, huh. you may be better looking, yeah, you may have you know whatever it is more money better connections he said but one thing you will not ever do is outwork me yeah it's like i know two things or one thing or whatever i'm, I'm butchering this but you get on it he said basically we get on a treadmill he's like i know two things <laughs> like one like i uh, you're getting off first or i'm gonna die of a heart attack yeah. like like you can't outwork me and i think if you take that philosophy to even these projects where you're like oh shit what am i involved with right now this sucks that's a great opportunity for you to, like you said, just be a be a Paige Lindsay White and just fucking kill it. And you also have an opportunity, if it's specific enough to your type, 
to really gear your marketing materials towards that and just get your face in front of get that type that you playing that token character that you play that only you can do better than anybody else get that in front of casting directors and producers and and directing your friends and like just get that out there and then you've got you've got a, a real opportunity at your fingertips yeah i'm glad you brought that up actually because um that was part of michael's question he actually got more specific towards the end of it and said something along the lines of <clears throat> if the role you're playing isn't even your type you know that's another layer of what the heck am i doing but you know like Trevor was saying, you also get to be responsible for that. Mm-hmm. What be responsible for what it is that you're creating, and if it's not something that's your type, it's not a good project. It's not an you know a, a reputable theater, or reputable production company. It's like what are you doing? Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I you know I don't I don't like necessarily sitting here on. I don't I don't want to feel like we're sitting here on our high horse berating <clears throat> other people's artistic expression. But if you, Michael, Trevor, AJ, if you feel like the project is not up to par, up to par, then yeah. what, you get to take responsibility for that, and and maybe say, you know what, I'm gonna respectfully decline or politely bow out or however yeah. you handle that. And that's a whole other can of, can of worms, you yeah. know, like which do, we've talked do, about. Yeah, before. do you do that or do you stick it through? I mean. That's why we have 85 episodes of this podcast and we are nowhere near running out of material <laughs> yeah. because we can revisit these questions and find new things mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah. And there's no such thing as a right answer either. Yeah. Yeah. It's or a wrong answer for yeah, that matter. Yeah. Amen. Well, hope that, hope that helps, Mike. Let us know. Um, <laughs> and by the way, that question came to us through our Facebook group, which has been, mm-hmm. been kind of hopping a little bit. You know, we've, we've, we've got uh, over 110 members now and we've got people posting stuff just about every day. And it's really cool to watch the community just kind of take on a life of its own. Now, I'm curious to know you, Trev, your opinion specifically, what you f- feel is the difference between our, our, our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Sure, sure. Our Facebook page I see as publicity, as like our public-facing Facebook presence. You know, like this is where you go mm-hmm. if you want to learn more about the podcast or you just want to have a quick browse or whatnot. If you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole and interact with listeners, that's what the group is for. Awesome. That's the way I see it. Uh, There's a lot of overlap there in terms of function. You know, they do kind of both serve the same function on a lot of levels, but if we had to distinguish them some way, it would be that the group is where you get to interact with people, ask questions, get answers, give advice, get advice, uh, coaching, support, whatever. And then the, uh, the page is just for people who just want to kind of, like us, <laughs> like us. <laughs> Click like and like stay up, stay, stay up to date. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, let's uh, let's roll into this interview, huh? Let's do it, dude. Uh, okay, part cool. one of a, of a three parter. We got another three parter here for you guys this week, or over the next three weeks, rather. <laughs> um, this is Matt Loglin. This is the first part of his chat. As AJ said uh, earlier, this is um, a published author who's now having his book, his story turned into a uh, a, a lifetime movie. And um, a lot of good stuff in here for actors. You know, I think you say it in the interview, AJ, at some point you're like, well, we didn't quite know what we were going to ask you yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it does, you're not in the same kind of world, but there are so many parallels. And I yeah. was actually really surprised as I was going through this interview, listening to it, making small edits. I was really surprised at how many parallels there are and how useful it, it, it is and applicable it is to the to the uh, actor's life because it's a creative's process you know yeah well and not only that but uh, something that uh he was able to not 
I don't know how to say this other than saying like not care about. It's like, I, I think I even say this in the interview, I liken it to the actor who goes in not caring about an audition and of course booking yeah. the role. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So if you are an actor who listens to this podcast, put on your you know actor hat and, and listen to the, the interview through an actor filter because I, I know as an actor and Trevor will probably agree with me that you will get a lot out of this. Um, I think a lot of it applies to what, what it is that we do for sure. For sure. And thanks uh hat tip to Jen Levin for, for bringing Matt into our world. Really good Definitely. stuff. So uh, enjoy part one guys. And we'll catch you in a bit on the other side. So hey everybody, this is Trev and AJ, and we are thrilled to be sitting here with Matt Loglin, who is a writer and uh, blogger, and his 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 first book actually is now being made into a major motion picture, and uh, we're excited to talk about a lot of different aspects of of this journey for you. So Matt, thank you so much for being here. No, thanks for having me. So let's start at the uh, at the beginning. I mean, I I have to admit I'm a little bit I have a little bit of hesitation as to how to introduce you um because it's such a painful story um so can i ask you to tell it <laughs> yeah I, I can do that it's uh, it's something that i've gotten used to talking about it's sometimes okay. easier for me to do um because we let's, let's preface this by saying you've been on oprah ricky lake has talked as has asked you i mean so you've yeah yeah i've been, been on, around a little bit i've been around a little yeah. bit i've done a few interviews in the past <laughs> couple of years cool. um so yeah, so in 2008, my wife was pregnant and uh, was put on bed rest for five weeks. So a couple of weeks at home and then in, into the hospital. And uh, my daughter was born seven weeks early. We were a little surprised because we were hoping to have this child come full term because these little babies are kind of difficult to, <laughs> to take care of and stuff. So uh, we were a little bit surprised, but but our daughter came via C-section and we were you know extremely excited because at the, at the outset, we were a little concerned about her health and all of that. But when she was finally out of the womb, it seemed like you know she was doing pretty well. She was going to be rather healthy and uh, you know lots of concerns ahead of us, but uh, we felt pretty good about how things were looking. And the next day, uh, my wife, who remained on bed rest for another 27 hours after my daughter was born, uh, got up to see her for the first time, and she collapsed on her way to the, the NICU to see our daughter, and, um, and she died uh, very soon after that. Um, and, and, and I was there, and... I, I, you know, it never gets easy to talk about this, but, but I have to say, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's just, it was the most devastating thing that I could ever imagine. And I couldn't have imagined it. I, I had no clue that something like this could happen to somebody of my wife's age. Um, I mean, she was in great health. She was very, very healthy, unlike me. Um, and, and to see, to see this happen in front of me and then to be left immediately as a single father was, um, something that scared me to death. I had no idea what I was going to do. Mm. Um, and so I, I was at home with my daughter two weeks after she was born. I brought her home, uh, trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with this little baby who again was seven weeks early. She wasn't even up to her due date when we brought her home, uh, when I brought her home and I say we, because I had my dad with me and a few mm -hmm. friends, but, um, for the most part it was, it was just me. And, um, and, and here I was again by myself as a father, but also without my best friend. And, and also my wife was, I mean, she was the most capable person I've ever met of anything. I mean, she could do anything she put her mind to. And so I was just going to let her be the better parent. I was going to let her be the parent and I was just going to do whatever she told me to do. So without her guidance, I was like, Oh shit, you know, what do I do with this kid? Like, how do I handle this? And, um, 
and so I just had to jump straight in and do it. And, uh, and that's, and that's where I was. And that's where I started was, was just being at home with this kid. And, uh, and I have a lot of family members and they're really nosy and they kind of get in my, my business a lot, but they all live in Minnesota or, you know, I've got a brother in Alaska, a sister-in-law up in San Francisco, but nobody was local to me. And so to keep them up to date on what I was doing, I had to, uh, I had to write it all out for them. I had started a blog just, you know, when I was traveling many, many years ago. And uh, it was really just to kind of post photos and tell people about some of my trips I was on. Uh, I was living in India for a while, and, and I got to see a lot of crazy shit. So people <laughs> people got to see that through my blog. Um, but it kind of, you know, it was just something I didn't really update that often. Uh, I started to update it when we were in the hospital with my wife. And, uh, you know, it was just like my mom and her family reading it and some friends. And uh, and so when, when uh, I brought my daughter home and after my wife had died, I thought, well, what better way to keep people up to date so I don't have to answer the phone all the time and I don't have to have people knocking on my door to make sure I'm okay and that I'm taking care of my child. I thought, I'll just post photos and I'll write a little bit about what we're doing every day because, again, it's not just me who thought I was you know, the, the, the less capable person in this relationship. It's our entire you know, group of family and friends who knew us hmm. um, all thought that my child was going to be in a, in a heap of trouble because, <laughs> because the more capable parent had died and, uh, and she was stuck with this derelict father who who really had no clue how to to even really like pay the bills or like make a bed or anything, and suddenly I'm thrust into the situation. Um, mm. And so really, that's what the blog was for: was to make sure that they knew that I wasn't just like drinking, and then right. my my child was like shoving forks right. into the light socket or something. So <laughs> it was it was really just to keep myself out of trouble. Uh-huh. Um, and the blog is um, one thing that struck me about the blog is is how even from the beginning it just has a very kind of like honest raw quality to it. Um, is this, did you ever see yourself as a writer? I mean, when you started this blog, you said it was just to kind of keep people updated. Yeah. Um, and then eventually it morphed into you be, I mean, in the intro of your book, you talk about how, like, I never thought I'd be a writer. I never thought I would do something like this. I never thought I'd be able to call myself an author. So when is that something you feel that developed over time? Uh, I don't think so. I think it just, it came straight out of my, my, my chest. You know, I was ripping these words out of my chest every single day. Um, but not because I thought I was, I was some amazing writer or anything. It was just, it was literally a way to keep these people in my life updated on what was going on. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, being honest about how I was feeling because I didn't think it was fair to necessarily bury these feelings. You know, I couldn't just go through my day. I, I was having a great time with my daughter. I loved her so much and I love her so much today. But I had so much fun with her, even in those first couple of weeks I was home with her. But I also had this thing that was going on in my life that was just so incredibly horrible that I couldn't express it in, in the best way. And so all I could do was, was try to write it out as best I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think I was a little naive about it. I didn't think, I mean, I truly never thought I'd be doing this or that I'd write a book or that anybody would be reading it. You know, I thought, okay, my mom will read it and my mom will call me up on a Saturday night and she's like, you sound really really depressed. Like we need to get you some help or something. I just never imagined I'd be in the situation where I'd have to like, you know, talk about my, my writing style or if I thought I was a writer. I mean, I, I remember early on, I used to see the comments that people would leave on the blog and, or they would leave on a different site or something. And somebody was criticizing my writing style. Cause it, I mean, it, it, it's in verse, but it looks more like an instant message conversation. <laughs> like I don't, I don't pretend to have any sort of style with this. This wasn't like I set out to write, like you know, poetry or anything like that. Um, and I had this woman, you know, on some site just just bad mouthing the shit out of me. And this is like a month or two after my wife died. She's like, "Who the fuck does this guy think he is? He thinks he's fucking E. E. Cummings. He doesn't capitalize anything, and he's writing in verse." And I'm like, 
And, you know, I didn't respond to any of this stuff except for that one. That's like one of the few things I've ever responded to. And I was like, you know what? Listen, kiss my ass. Like, I wasn't setting out for you to read this. I didn't write this so that you as some stranger in wherever the hell you are in Williamsburg or something think you're totally awesome and that, like, I'm trying to mimic, you know, some writer. I didn't even know who the fuck Ian Cummings was. <laughs> I literally had no clue who he was. So it's not like, again, I didn't set out to write. I wasn't a writer by any means. I was a big reader, but I was reading um, I was reading nonfiction stuff. That's all I really read. Um, so I didn't know who these these poets were and i didn't know about any of this crap but you know it i I would say again you know to kind of answer your question this wasn't like a style that developed it wasn't anything i developed over time it was just it just happened it just started coming out of me and when you're that naive about the internet i mean even though i I used to work for the internet like (laughs) i worked at yahoo and so i knew i I clearly knew how this all worked and i knew about viral videos and shit like that but i just never imagined it would happen to me you know to to be sitting here and knowing that i wrote a book is just the most outrageous thing that you could ever imagine (laughs) so So where where was that turning point then um i mean you had the blog which was originally a travel blog and then it eventually became kind of a a news slash outlet kind of kind of thing for you and then a book happened so what was that journey like it was really weird. Um, people started reading my blog, um, again, outside my family. It was just, you know, people were reading it. And I, I'm sorry, know. let me cut you off. Did that feel invasive to you? Like, what was that like to have strangers all of a sudden be in your world, in your story, in your life? I just ignored it for the most part. I mean, I was, it was weird because I was interacting with these people via the comments or, you know, via emails I was getting from them. But I sort of, I just never really put it in my mind that there were all these people reading it. I mean, I could look at my, my site stats. And it, it kind of hit me hard when my, my father-in-law one time was like, you know, I, I think one day I had 55,000 people visit my site. You know, this was early in on. In one day? In one day. Wow. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, that's like an entire baseball stadium filled with people <laughs> staring at your life. He's like, doesn't that feel weird to you? And I just said, you know, it, it, doesn't, see, it doesn't feel real to me. You know, I, I just, I know that there were people reading it. Um, but since I wasn't interacting with them on a daily basis at least at first i wasn't meeting these people it just didn't seem real to me um but but eventually as people started reading it they were writing me emails and they were sending me messages in different places and they were asking me you know hey i'm going to be in la um can i meet you can i have dinner with you and stuff and and even then it didn't feel all that invasive you know i it felt kind of great to know that i had this weird community of people that were coming to my aid whether it was sort of my my um, psychological aid or was, you know, sort of my physical aid because these people were bringing me food sometimes, you know, like there was a woman who dropped off frozen pancakes on my doorstep. I remember reading about that in the book. Yeah. yeah. And it's so weird because I was like, why frozen pancakes? Like everybody, you know, they bring you dinner and, you know, like lasagna and stuff, but like why pancakes? And so when I finally met this woman, I said, why would you do this? And she said, well, because everybody brings dinner, I figured you probably needed some breakfast. And I thought, that's a really <laughs> kind thing. You know? like, so like, who well thinks of that? Out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would never think of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you get these, these wonderful people that I started to meet along the way. And so it, it, it felt less invasive than I think most people would assume it to be. And what it, what it became was like, I just expanded my circle of friends. And weirdly, these people I met, I mean, I had nothing in common with them, you know, other than the fact that maybe we were parents. But what I what I found is that I mean there these were you know I'm I'm a very liberal Democrat like I was meeting Republicans and we had nothing in common whether it was politics or the music I listened to or the movies I liked or the things I read we we had nothing in common but still we could find that that bond that kind of held us together I mean I was just up visiting somebody who showed up randomly at a at a, an event I had in the park a few years ago I think um, I think I might have even met you there um, but you know. Like they just came to this event in this park 
And I got to know them really well. And they're the, like, they're like the worst people in the world. Hi, Jeffra. Um, (laughs) they, they're, they're these terrible Republicans, but we're like best friends. And I just, out of nowhere, just drove up to see them this weekend because they have a daughter that's about my daughter's age and then they have a brand new son and and they're actually just the kindest people in the whole world. I I give them a hard time all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just those kinds of connections that, that developed were, were really incredible. And if you think about, um, why this happened, I mean, it's like, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even this wasn't possible. You know, if somebody had a situation like this, if if somebody's wife died, for instance, and they lived in a city like Los Angeles, like I do, and they're not a part of a religious community and they don't know their neighbors and they don't know anybody in the community that can sit there and in the more traditional sense, help them. I mean, because in years past, if somebody died, um, that your, your local community, the church, whatever would come together and try to help you out. They would help you through the situation. Um, and I didn't have that. And so with my family on the other side of the country and my friends on the other side of the country, um, I have friends in LA, but they're all the kind of people you wouldn't want around your children. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're great and everything and I love them. Um, but they, they like to drink and do other things. And so that you don't, you don't really put them in charge of a, a, a newborn. So, um, so I, I really had to kind of figure out a way to do this on my own and, and, I felt so much less alone as these people kind of came out of the woodwork and started doing these really wonderful things for me that um, I had no idea how to even like process really. So that is such a cool story because I could see how it could it could go the other. I mean, you know, my experience of the internet is that there's a lot of people out there that just have nothing better to do. They sit around and trash talk other people, you know. Yeah. So it's so cool to hear that this was like expanding your circle of friends, like you said. I mean, I think that really kind of makes me feel really warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because that's not what the internet's for anymore. Like the internet's like the giant snark engine um, yes. that we all know it to yeah. be, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that's the way I used to look at it. And I'm, I'm by nature just a very cynical and sort of awful person, you know? And it really, I, I had to become a different person after this. I mean, clearly Liz's death changed me in so many ways and having a child changed me in so many ways. Um, but I think this was, this was ultimately like a, a gigantic change in my life as well. And that was, learning to trust people because, um, you know, and I had, I think I wrote about this in the book, but, um, you know, in talking to, to my wife's dad, um, he was sort of like my go-to person throughout this. I knew I could call him at any time and say, Hey, this, this weird thing happened to me. What do you think? You know? And, um, and so when people started asking for my address, I was saying like, no, I'm not gonna, I can't just give people my address. You know, I would get these emails and I just wouldn't respond because I thought that's, that's really incredibly weird what could these possible, what, what possibly could these people want to do with my address? Like, am I going to get some severed head in the mail? Like, are they going to send like dead cats to me or something? Cause that's exactly uh, what you assume from the internet, right? Yeah, like yeah. the person on the other side of that, that email is somebody that they're not like they could represent themselves as a, as a 30 year old woman with three kids. It's probably some 60 year old dude, like sitting around in his underwear, like in his mom's basement or something. And right. she's mummified or whatever. But like, <laughs> that's not what happened. Thankfully, like I was actually meeting these wonderful people and, um, and, and at a certain point, you just have to look at, at yourself and realize that like, this is not about me anymore. They were actually trying in a lot of ways. I mean, it was coming through me. They were trying to help me out, but at the same time, they were trying to help somebody and they felt helpless, you know, because if you don't know this person and you can't drive over to their, their house and just drop off some frozen pancakes or whatever, like you don't, you, you feel helpless in this situation. And they knew me pretty intimately just through my writing. And so it got to a point where, I just had to trust them. I had to trust that nobody was going to, you know, try to kidnap my baby or come and, you know, I don't know, steal underwear or something out of my drawer or whatever <laughs> that I was scared of. Um, and I can tell you, I've not, I've not had, I've had maybe like one or two negative, um, 
uh, interactions with people. But other than that, I mean, you can't even count that because it, I've had thousands of positive reactions, and that's that's what I choose to focus on. That's so awesome. That's so great to hear. It's pretty cool. So, so how did so? Let's talk about. Let's go back to the transition from the blog to a book. How did yeah. that come about? What was that like? Uh, so after the the blog had been read quite a bit by people, um, you know these things as they as they do, they tend to go viral. And so uh, I got contacted by you know local news in Minnesota where I'm from, and they had done a story on me uh, about a month after Liz died. And within that first month, I got a. I got contacted by a publisher. It was a, one of the editors at, uh, at, a, at a nice publishing house. And she sent me the most flattering email of my life, <laughs> uh, comparing me to a couple of writers who I, I really, really liked. And then she also threw in the E.E. E. Cummings thing, which was really funny because I had no <laughs> idea who he was. It was like she mentioned John Fonte, who, if you guys, I mean, he's this amazing writer who used to write about L.A. And I don't know if you've read any of his stuff or seen any of his movies, but just a, a tremendous talent. So she compared me to John Fonte, which was just ridiculous. And then also Charles Bukowski, which also was ridiculous. And I think it was just from my swearing that she got that. <laughs> But, um, but then also the Cummings thing. And so when I got contacted, I said, I, you know, I, I don't know how to do this. Like I have a master's degree. I wrote papers in, in grad school and in college. And I wrote, uh, three music reviews for this, like this music magazine here in LA. And I was so self-conscious about what I wrote that I just quit. I just quit doing it and I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and so I told this, this editor that there was no way in hell I was going to write a book. Um, and she said, well, why don't you just, you know, keep my phone number and we'll, we'll talk in the future maybe. And I said, okay, that's fine. And so every few months she'd just write me and check in. And, and I just kind of assumed that like, you know, when she first contacted me that she would lose interest, you know, like some other guy would come along, some, somebody else with a sadder story or somebody who could write better or, or whatever. And she would just simply disappear from my life. Um, but what happened is more and more people started contacting me. I got contacted by another editor uh, from a different publisher. And I thought, this is weird. Like these people make their living doing this. So they must know something that I don't. And, uh, and so as this continued, as I started to get more press, um, more and more publishers started contacting me and then agents started contacting me after I ended up on uh, Rachel Ray's talk show. So, uh, she has, I, I didn't realize at the time that she does something more than cooking. So she had a talk <laughs> show too. And so yeah. when I got contacted, they're like, you want to come on Rachel Ray's talk show? And I thought, uh, I don't know, you know, I guess, I mean, I, can I cook or what, what am I, what do you want me to do? And they're like, Oh no, no, this is her other show. Um, and so, so I did that. And again, that's where I got a lot of, um, contacts from agents and things like that. And, uh, and then the people magazine thing kind of was, was pushing that along quite a bit. And then, you know, sort of the, the pinnacle of all this, I think for anybody in this situation is Oprah. Um, when Oprah calls, and you end up on her TV show. It just changes. It changes everything for everybody. And I think there was even a TV show about like the Oprah effect or something, mm. um, and about like what she can do to, to any product that you might, you know, she might endorse or anything that you might do. Um, and so when I ended up on her show, it was just sort of a, a game changer for everything. Um, all these agents and and I mean the publishers were just coming out of the woodwork. Um, and so that's that's what happened. And I ended up choosing an agent. Um, not based on, you know, name or anything like that. I got contacted by all these, these big agencies. And to tell you how like far outside this game I was, 
I got contacted by by William Morris, um, and there was like this huge I, whoever the agent was. I guess he was like this really important guy, and uh, I was like, why is the cigarette company contacting me? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Am I? Like, who is William? Morris? I was like, oh shit, that's an agency. Um, <laughs> it was Philip Morris, I guess, is the cigarette. So many, company. Right, right. <laughs> so many of our listeners right now are like, ah, <laughs> I know, I know. They would I, love to get contacted by them, and you're like, is that a cigarette company? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, I love it. I think it's hilarious. Well, and that's. And that's how this happened. I mean, this this was not like I set out, you know, because I think people have accused me in the past, at least a few people anyway, that, that like I had this manufactured in my head, like I was going to, you know, my wife died and I was going to, I was going to write this blog and I was going to get the attention of Oprah and then I was going to get a book deal and then I was going to get a movie made about my book. And it's like, um, if I'd set out to do this, there's no way in hell this would have happened. I mean, there's no possible way I could have planned for this or that I could have succeeded in trying. I mean, this is... This is called chance. This is called privilege. This is called, I mean, this is, this is a million things, but it's not me. You know, it's not because I'm an amazing writer. I don't, I don't believe that for a second. Um, it's just that I was in the right place at the right time with the sort of circumstances that came, came along after uh, I started writing. And it's just, it's a weird place to be. That blows my mind that people might say that this was like something that you contrived. Yeah, could you imagine? Like, I can't. I can't even stomach that. That's like the. I mean, aside from the fact that that we're talking about my wife's death here, like, you know, I mean, I do get those emails from time to time, like, oh, you, you know, you just took your wife's story and tried to profit off of it, and wow. it's like, I, I don't, I don't see it that way at all. I mean, yeah, I've made money from my book and, and things like that, but at the heart of everything here, um, this is for my daughter. And the fact that somebody paid me to write something that my daughter is going to someday look back at and, and hopefully appreciate, you know, because I just want her to know what I was going through in that first year without her mom. Uh, because I've heard from so many people, so many uh, kids especially, who've said, you know, my mom died and my dad just disappeared. You know, mm. he might have physically been there, but but emotionally speaking, he has just gone from my life. And so um, to be able to demonstrate this in, in a way that I couldn't on the blog, because I had written this stuff out, right? And, and I was there with my daughter, and I could tell her all these things. But to have a major publisher validate that, I mean, who gets that chance? I don't get that chance. I, don't, I know one other person in my life who's written a book, and I met her after Liz died, you know? Mm. She was just somebody I met along the way. Um, but I, before this, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't connected in that way. I couldn't do any of this stuff. And so, um, the fact that it's happened to me is, I mean, I'm, I'm still in disbelief about it. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine that I'm sitting here talking to you guys about this and that I actually wrote a book. It's just, it's, it's so strange. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about the writing process with the blog. It's a little bit more freeform. You kind of are on your own schedule, you're your own boss, and then you've got a publisher involved with a deadline and agents and a book. So what was that like kind of having to work that way? Uh, it was it was like the the worst form of hell I could possibly <laughs> describe. Because I, that's another thing in the intro of the book. I remember you you writing about how like oh man like this was one of the hardest things I'd ever done. Yeah, it's you know just to hit the deadlines. You know, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it, it, this would be like like you coming to me and saying like hey I know you've never done any electrical work in like in your life like you've never done wired a house or like done any plumbing, but I've got all this money for you. Can you just come into my house and just do it? And I need it done in half the amount of time you think you can do it. And I would be like, you're fucking crazy. Like, there's, there's no possible way you could do this. Um, when, when I started meeting with publishers, uh, I went into these meetings and, you know, I'm sort of unrefined when it comes to this stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm walking into Penguin or I'm walking into Random House or Hachette or whatever. And, you know, I'm dressed like a complete, just like homeless person. And I walk into these places 
And I'm sitting with all of, like the editor in chief and the president of the company, all these people, and they're like asking me all these questions, and they say things like, uh, "So, how long do you think it's going to take you to write this book?" I said, "I don't know, two, three years. <laughs> I don't know. I've never written a book. Like, I have no idea what to say." And every time I'd walk out, my agents were like, "You know, we need to <laughs> work on a different answer for that." Um, and so ultimately, what it came down to is, I was telling everybody two years or so. Every publisher came back and said, "We want it done within a year." Um, and then there's all sorts of contractual stuff that happens once you settle on a publisher and you need, you got lawyers involved and agents and publishers and all this crap. And so by the time I actually got started, I was three months after we had already negotiated the deal. It took me three months to sign the contract and that had taken three months out of my writing time. Mm-hmm. And I had determined that I was going to move to India and write this book. I just, I needed to get away from my friends and family and everybody in the world and just go to the other side of the, the, the globe. And um, and so I got there on October 5th of 2009, and I was supposed to have, like, the first draft of the first third of the book done at the end of October. Actually, I think it was due on October 1st. Sorry. It was due before I'd actually even started it. And um, so I had this editor who's, who's really an amazing editor um, and who needed to keep me on task, and I was getting yelled at all the time. I mean, I get yelled at daily and to the point where I just quit answering phone calls. I quit I quit taking the phone calls while I was in India. I quit responding to emails. I quit dealing with everybody. My agents would contact me. I just ignored them. Um, it was like the worst form of self-sabotage I can even explain to you. I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want anybody forcing this out of me. I, I, you know, this was not a work of fiction. This was not something where I got up every day and was like, I can't wait to write this fucking book. Like this was, this was the most painful thing aside from actually having my wife die this is probably the most painful thing I've ever done was sitting there and trying to excise these, these thoughts and these memories of her and, and being in the place that I'd, I'd been to with her in India and sitting there day after day, um, trying to get this out and then have somebody barking at me and telling me that I needed to get it done sooner. Um, didn't work for me very well. So there was, there were several times where I thought this book was never going to get published. And, uh, and I think my editor and my agents and everybody I know probably felt the same way. So the fact that this exists is kind of a miracle, actually. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the non-interview portion. <laughs> to, to the part of the podcast, like, the part of the podcast the after the interview, which we <laughs> sometimes refer to as the debrief. Yeah. Um, but being that's another three-parter, we you know we don't have a whole lot of t- t- whole lot to talk about right now. Mm. Um, we'll probably reserve that for next episode or the episode after that. Yeah. So, um, well, I did want to kind of briefly <clears throat> say that one thing that really stuck out to me about Matt's story, and this is something we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast, but that I've been reading more and more about, just kind of through various internet bloggers and writers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of building a platform. Um, usually, this applies to writers. But I think it, it can be kind of transmuted to actors, filmmakers, um, producers, musicians, uh, painters, I mean, sculptors, like whatever other kind of art you want. Mm-hmm. It's all about building a platform. And in that platform, the idea is to just kind of make your a good chunk of your work, probably the majority of your work, accessible for free to the masses and just kind of build a platform where you're, you're, you're showing people what you have. And then within that, you kind of offered... Or not really offer, but within that, you then have leverage with people that kind of have the money or whatever it is, whether it's a publishing deal or a movie role or whatever it is, then you have that kind of leverage to be like, well, I've got this audience with me. I've got these people behind me who've been following me. 
Um, and that makes it a lot more lucrative for somebody to take a second look at you. So are you, are you defining platform in this sense as a combination of both your body of work and your followers? Uh, yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. There are two people who write a lot about this. One of them is Michael Hyatt. He has a, a, a book out called platform that I purchased, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Uh, and then this guy, Jeff Goins, who's a, a writer on the internet. And, uh, he often references Michael Hyatt's work. And I think his website is goinswriter.com. I'll mm-hmm. throw a link on the, on the website, but he writes quite prolifically, uh, on this topic. His whole blog is all about how to be successful as a writer. And within that, it's all about building your platform so that you can be successful as a writer and generate that following. And it's just really fascinating stuff. It's something we haven't talked about. And I'm, I'm just going to go on and I'm going to go and add a new tag for this episode and just have that tag be platform building. Hmm, Cause I think there's a lot to mine there for DIY actors on the internet, which is our audience. Yeah. And it's us, you know? So that's really fascinating, especially in the context of Matt, because he says multiple times throughout the interview, he didn't intend for that to happen. Yeah. He's the master of detachment in that sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and master detachment specifically with platform, like, you know, as he says in the interview, he was really just trying to keep his family up to date with what was going on in his daily life with not only himself, but his relationship with his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like field of dreams. (laughs) It really (laughs) is. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. Very much. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, look forward to uh, the next couple parts of uh, of Matt's interview, and we'll jump into our picks of the week for Sweet. this week. What do you got, Sweet. man? Uh, I got a movie introduced to me by a friend called Nine Lives. Um, I'm blanking on the director's name. It's kind of a smaller movie that um, came out a couple years ago. Uh, Jason Isaacs is in it. Um, a couple other big Holly Hunters in it. Uh, Robin Wright Penn or just Robin Wright now, I guess is in it. Uh, and what's cool about this movie is that it's, it just, it's nine separate kind of vignettes. And by vignettes, I mean like, it's almost like they're nine separate short films. Each one's about 10 minutes maybe. And the coolest part is they're like watching mini plays because it's all one long take. Like the amount of work that went into these, these little vignettes that make up the movie and they all kind of overlap somehow with characters or theme or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the amount of work that had to go in it to block these things with the camera. I mean, there's one that's in a grocery store. There's one that's in like a, an apartment building. There's one that's outside in the graveyard. I mean, it's just incredible to see the timing and the, and the, the pacing of the performances happen all in one long take. It's just, it's brilliant. It's really freaking cool. I enjoyed the movie thoroughly. So, and I think there's nine of them. Uh, there might only be like seven, and there's just nine characters. Hmm. But uh, anyway, totally worth the watch if just to see something a little different, yeah, than what you would you you might usually see. This is not a movie. This is a film. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I'm 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 in. I can't wait to see it. Uh, yeah, it's, lo- it's very cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I looked it up while you were talking. Uh, written and directed by Rodrigo Garcia. There it is. Yeah, and um, stars. Uh, yeah, Sissy Spacek. You mentioned Glenn Close, Holly Hunter, um, Kathy Baker, Amy Brenneman's in it. Robert Robin Wright, Aiden Quinn. Yeah, yeah. Dakota yeah. Fanning. Yeah, it's, it's Ian McShane. Very- he, oh yeah, Ian McShane's Ian McShane. in it. I forgot he's oh in it too. Oh my god, I love him. Uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. And you know, my friend introduced this to me because she wanted to kind of model some of her work after, it and she wanted us both to kind of be on the same page because we're talking about 
collaborating on stuff. And so it was very cool to watch this and just be like, okay, I love this, this, and this. And she's like, yeah, me too. And then we got, <laughs> we got like, we totally geeked out about it, nice. you know, like just geeked out about the style of the film and the way it was put together. There's definitely very something cool. to be learned there too in, uh, in terms of, um, you know, knowing what your, what your tastes oh, yeah. are. Yeah. This yeah. play actually that <clears throat> we'll talk about on another episode that I may or may not be in, um, uh, there's a there's this amazing moment that actually I should have mentioned in the Big Learns because I didn't even think about it being a Big Learn, but they talk about one of the characters is talking about taking notes. He's learning about classical music, and he has like a notebook, and he's like taking notes on like what different pieces remind him of, what you know, how it makes him feel, things like that. And the other character in the scene with him says, "Good, you're developing your taste." Hmm. I was like. Oh my gosh! It like totally blew my mind. Like I was like, you could apply that yeah. to anything. You could apply that to film. You could apply that to theater. You could apply that to writing. Yeah, it's like that Ira Glass quote. Remember that Ira Glass quote? That, yes, uh, we still have a link to that somewhere on yes. our site. Yeah, to download we created a PDF. A, a PDF. Yeah, I wonder what. There's no way I could recall that episode yeah. right now. But we can. We'll just we'll do was, a search and I'll look it up and stick it under the show notes for this episode. Yeah, too. it was one of my picks of the week back in the Dizay. But um, I just thought that was so fascinating. Anyway, we're getting yeah. off on a tangent here. But that's yeah. great. I'm going to check out that film. Is it on uh, Netflix or? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I think she brought a DVD over. Got it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Worth checking out. Cool. Yeah. So um, uh, your pick of the week, dude. My pick of the week. So as part of the leadership program for MITT that uh, Trevor and I are both involved with, you, we get to do a community service project, um, which I love, and I love that we are taking the opportunity to kind of focus out and make a make an impact on the world, leave a leave a, a true legacy. And my team has chosen a organization in Los Angeles called School on Wheels, which is a an organization that provides education to homeless youths, uh, kindergarten through twelfth grade all over Los Angeles. So they could be in group homes, they could be living on the streets. Um, and essentially what they do is they provide education by, um, they, they have, it's interesting, they have a very small staff of like 20-ish uh, people who actually work for the organization and they wrangle a, a team of volunteer tutors that can sometimes get up to as large as 600 yeah, I remember you telling so, me about this, and that that blows my mind. Yeah, a so bit. so you know, very they're doing a lot with very few resources, and so we want to come in there and just be their 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 angels, you know, and just really give them an opportunity to take the take the what they're doing to more people. So what they are in major need of right now are school supplies, uh, transportation and technology so mm. ipads and and laptops because they can do um they can do tutoring via like basically skype or something there's like a tutoring program that they can do uh over the internet if they if the kid if the child has a, a laptop or, a, or an ipad to do it with um transportation so that they can get their volunteer tutors to these various group homes they have like a handful of vans they're looking to basically source some more vehicles um and of course as always school supplies so anything that you can do to uh Either raise awareness, donate, whatever it is. Um, we'll put a link up to the, to the Facebook, our Facebook page uh, that we've created for this project on the Inside Acting website. So you can go there. You can either donate to School on Wheels directly. If you do that, we just need it to be earmarked for our project. So just make sure that you put 
somewhere in there, something along along the lines of LP as in leadership program 102, which is my leadership team. So Trevor's 104, I'm 102. So LP 102. Um, Somewhere in like the notes section when they yeah, donate. Yeah, like be when little, you donate on, a, on PayPal, like we talked about earlier, when people donate to us, they can leave a little note. Right. It's just, just make sure that you indicate that it's for what we're calling the two-week School cool. on Wheels Challenge. Just to know where it came from. <clears throat> exactly, exactly. And there's instructions on how to do that on the on our Facebook page. Sweet. But if you can donate that, if you can donate, um, you know, gift cards to like Staples, if you can do direct donations uh, of any kind that are, you know, uh, school supplies or or what have you, anything like that uh, would be greatly appreciated. There's all the instructions on our on our Facebook page. Uh, the Facebook page for the for the challenge, mm-hmm. not the Inside Acting Facebook page. Although we may put a link up there, uh, would be greatly appreciated. Um, we have a very short amount of time in order to make a big impact, and I know we have people listening to this from all over the world. And I just think it would be really special if you know kids, homeless kids here in LA, knew that they were getting support from people in Austria, Canada, yeah, uh, yeah. Australia. Like I just think that'd be a super powerful experience yeah. for them and and for me and for for us for my team very cool man so people listening um yeah think about paying it forward i mean i think we, we've talked about this in the podcast a lot in fact i have a, a small announcement to make in a, in a minute when we get to it but um you know con- con- being in contribution to the world the people you share this world with yeah um people less fortunate than you people that maybe need some support in some way. It doesn't necessarily have to be money all the time. You know, you can volunteer, you can just offer a phone call or even just a good thought, a prayer, you know, whatever it is. I think that that is like, I mean, you want to change your life. Yeah. <laughs> Make that a habit, you know, Absolutely. it will, it will change your freaking life. Yeah. And, and you'd be amazed at how that energy, if you want to get selfish about it, the way that that energy will come back to you yeah. in the most unexpected ways. You know, one of our listeners, uh, Helena, uh, Santos Levi Le- Levy, Levy yeah. posted on our yeah. Facebook group something about like how do you keep committed every single day and I was like if the normal I po- I replied and I said you know if the normal stuff isn't working focus out hmm. if, you'd mm-hmm. be amazed at like Trevor said you'd be amazed at what focusing out can do for 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 you you know karmically uh, health wise you know I know people who like are you know in serious need of like an organ transplant and they spend any time that they're not in the hospital donating their time money and effort to various organizations because they know that focusing out on others and giving your energy to others and giving away to others is one of the best ways to um, not only serve the planet but to serve yourself as well yeah so you know as you were saying that i just thought to myself okay trev you're on your deathbed what do you remember most about your time here in this life? Like, what do you, what is going to make you feel you've lived a full life? And, yeah. and just just hearing you talk, I was just like, it's not going to be how much money I earned or, mm-hmm. or what roles I booked and what film. It's not going to be that. To be honest, I think, and I, and I think if people listen to this saying, oh, that wouldn't be the case for me, really take a, take a second look. <laughs> Ask yourself truly. For me, it would be, how, how did I help other people? Yeah. What did I do to make their experience just a little bit better, a little bit easier, a little bit more pleasant, a little bit more fun, a little bit more empowering. You know, I mean, that's, that's really all there is. That's yeah. really the only thing you can leave in this world is that's your legacy. You know, yep. if you know, 
I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I, I, I just, what you said just kind of touched my heart a little bit, awesome. man. <laughs> I'm just kind of like to be right of now. service. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's always been something that I've, I've, in fact, let's just go ahead and get this announcement out of the way. Um, a long time ago, we met with Tamika Larson, I believe is her last name. Yeah. And she uh, has a foundation called the Make a Film Foundation. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about on this podcast for a long time. We've wanted to, as a podcast, as a, as a production, be in, in contribution to the, the community, uh, you know, some sort of charity or something somehow. And so uh, as of this episode, it is now official, episode 85 and onward, 10% of all donations and income from sponsors or advertisers or otherwise that we get at this podcast, 10% of that will be donated to the Make a Film Foundation, which is a foundation that um, uh, caters to, no, what is the right word I'm looking for here? Well, they provide, yeah, they basically work with, um, at risk youths and sometimes terminally ill youth, uh, all kinds of different, you know, kids who are either, you know, at risk, low income, potentially terminally ill to, um, support them in making a film. Yeah. It's kind of like art therapy, but like, yeah, in the, in the the most, like (laughs) they're like in the most, uh, damn it. What's the word? cathartic way possible Is yeah the right, what's the word i'm looking for sure. catharsis i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well and they, they have a lot of you know celebrities that work with them mm-hmm. and they, they they do good work you can check out their website on our website and yeah it's something that we've wanted to do for uh, a very long time we actually met tamika a while ago and it was just a matter of sort of getting our act together in order to yeah, make this exactly uh, a possibility so Hopefully our listeners are into this because, you know, we want you to continue to support us and we're hoping that this acts as an incentive to do so as opposed to, you know, scaring you away because you think 10% of your donation is going somewhere else. But, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us or just check out their website. They do amazing, amazing work. And we wanted it to be something that was supporting the arts and supporting kids. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that is the organization that we chose to um to support yeah so supporting the podcast uh donating to the podcast you support make a film foundation and for the next week basically until we meet again the next time you hear our voices again uh please support school on wheels um which we'll also have a link to on our on our website under this episode awesome lots of ways for you to (laughs) use your your hard-earned dollars to pay it forward Definitely. Yeah. And remember, uh, karma is a very real thing. I'm not mm. saying that, you know, you're going to have bad karma if you don't donate. It's nothing, <laughs> it's nothing like that. But, you know, pay it forward, man. It, it, it works. Yeah, for, <laughs> sure. for uh, sure. All right, dude. We got to wrap this up. So we have a quick uh, listener pick of the week, and then we are done. Yeah. So uh, you've read the article. I haven't. Do you want to yeah. just bust this one out? Sure. I mean, go read the article. It's uh, <laughs> Leslie Richards, who is invo- who's very involved on our Facebook group posted an article about felicia day who is the writer director producer of the guild one of the most famous web series on the internet and you know she got her start on buffy the vampire buffy the vampire slayer and has just you know she was in uh, joss whedon's um uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog and I mean she's just like you know she's all over the internet if you don't know who Felicia Day is crawl out from under whatever rock you're living yeah. chances really. are if you know what a podcast is you know what she is yeah if you're listening to us you probably know who Felicia Day is anyway uh, it's a great article it's an interview with her about how she works 
you know, everything down to the nuts and bolts of like what kind of computer she has and whether or not she listens to music while she does her work. Yeah. And what comes first, email or other stuff? Um, you know, how long do you spend on it? Things like that. It's very cool. So it's very nuts and bolts. And also some of it's very heady. So like she even quotes something that we say in uh, MITT and LP all the time, which is how we do one thing is how we do everything. Mm. And so she was talking about work ethic and how that applies to work ethic is how we do one thing is how we do everything. So if you show up kind of lackadaisical in one area of your life, chances are you're showing up that way everywhere. So if you show up super committed and on the ball and motivated in one area of your your life, you'll be showing up that way in other areas as well. I can't wait to read this. I always learn so much from hearing about people's routines and rituals and mindsets. So it sounds awesome. So link to that is also on our website. This is like the most information packed episode we've ever done. I think maybe it's, it's called adding value. <laughs> That's right. Oh my God. And we have more value in store too. Just wait and see guys. We have some cool stuff. We're going to be rolling out soon. So you know how to get in touch with us. Insideactingpodcast.com is going to have all the ways to get in touch with us and all the links for this episode and all the episodes we've done so far. All the episodes we've done so far and all of the ways to donate, not just to the podcast, but to School on Wheels and everything else that we are supporting uh, this week and in the future. So just go to insideactingpodcast.com. <laughs> That's the easiest way to do that part of our, outro, of our outro. Yeah, and if you, didn't, if you don't want to donate, if you're not cool with that, um, it's cool. You can still listen to the podcast. It's all Everything we do is basically free. And if you uh, are not cool with donating, maybe you just don't get quite enough value out of this to kick a few bucks over to us. That's cool. We don't take it personally, really. But uh, if, uh, if you just want to maybe tell some friends about us or hop over to iTunes and uh, leave us a nice review over there or actor rated and, and, you know, or just go on Facebook and give us a little like or whatever it is. That's cool, man. I mean, there's lots of different ways to support the podcast above and beyond just, you know, kicking some, some money our way. So definitely um, we appreciate every single gesture, dollar, penny, um, kind word, nice review, whatever it is that comes our way. So thank you to all of you who have done that. Thank you to all of you who are going to do that. We are out of time, so for episode 85... This is, this is the gratitude episode. It is, man. I feel really good right now. You know, I feel really like... I feel like I'm glowing, maybe. Am I glowing? You're always glowing Am to I glowing? me, Trevor. Thank you. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For episode 85... Uh, oh, man. I'm Trevor Algott. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, focus out. Focus out.